0: what is up welcome to another edition of the fantasy life show it's the flagship show glad you could be here with us my name is marcus grant here to take you through the end of week 12 and in to lucky week number 13 now, this is when the things start to get important across the fantasy landscape just a couple more weeks left in the fantasy regular season in most leagues then we get to the playoffs so every decision you make uh, just a little bit more added importance no pressure though but uh, we're here to try to help you out with that and some of your betting life as well but to do that as always I'm joined by my faithful co-hosts, Ian Harditz, Dwayne McFarlane, and Matthew Friedman. And uh, gentlemen, it's it's glad, it's glad? It's good. Uh, That's what I'm trying to say. It's good to be back with you all again uh, here after the Thanksgiving holiday as we get ready for the stretch run uh, of the fantasy season and the NFL regular season as well. By the way, uh, if you get a chance, and you absolutely should, go over to FantasyLife.com. You can sign up for the free newsletter that lands in your inbox each and every day. Uh, the gentlemen that you're looking at all have a hand in contributing to that on a regular basis, not to mention the Betting Life newsletter that comes out three times a week. But, uh, fellas, we got other things to talk about, including some fantasy football regrets. <laughs> <laughs> Shout outs. To uh, our graphics department who comes up with some of the best stuff that that we put together every single week. But uh, a fantasy football regrets list uh, that we put out over there at FantasyLife.com. And uh, Ian, among the top regrets this season, the fact that we pretty much ignored most of the Texans offense And everybody is excelling except the one guy that we thought was going to do things, and and that was Damian Pierce. But we we sort of ignored C.J. Stroud, and now the dude looks like a lock for Offensive Rookie of the Year, one of the biggest fantasy surprises
1: of the season. I mean, he is on pace to absolutely shatter Andrew Luck's rookie passing record at this point. I mean, Stroud, right now, guys, is leading the entire NFL in passing yards per game. Not among rookies, among every single quarterback out there. And when we're looking at it, no, we did not realize that we were going to get literally the most productive rookie quarterback in NFL history, who is also just happening to work as one of the most productive NFL quarterbacks in the year 2023 period leading this team. Because as easy as it is to look at things in hindsight and say, oh, you know, Nico Collins, Tank Dell, look at all these weapons that they had around Stroud. I mean, come on, guys. Like, I'm not here to blame PFF or anything. I think what they were reporting was actually what a lot of us believed that this was a bottom two pass catching core before the season started and also a bottom 10 offensive line very little reason to be excited about all these guys back in August but as we know that has gone horribly wrong so Dwayne I mean I guess looking at it man not that we thought Stroud was a bad prospect I mean even Bryce Young one-on-one believers usually did have Stroud coming in at number two but just not enough respect I guess for the possible upside at hand maybe start giving these you know more pro style pro ready quarterbacks, the hat tip. Cause again, all due respect to Nico, to Dell, even to Dalton Schultz for stretches. But, you know, let's realize here, if you take Stroud out of this offense, I'm not so sure we still be having so many top 10 wide receivers running around.
2: Yeah, Stroud's obviously the straw that stirs the drink. Um, Tank Dell and Nico Collins, they've been really good, but it's hard to beat yourself too much over missing on Stroud, you know, as far as a fantasy pick, but he was a waiver wire addition in a lot of leagues. My big picture takeaway on this one, Ian, because of all the things you mentioned, we didn't think the receiving core was that great. Rookie quarterbacks, even top picks are typically not this good in their first year. But what I've seen over the last two years in fantasy is we are seeing more and more teams draft two quarterbacks. And they're not dropping the second quarterback. It used to be very easy to say, you know, I'll draft one quarterback and then I'll load up on one extra skill position player. But because of how the position has deteriorated, Combined with the fact that we've had a lot of tough injuries over the last two seasons, it has made some of these guys that you happen to get lucky on even that much more valuable. So either A, you end up plugging them into your lineup, which is most likely what you would do with Stroud unless you took Jalen Hurts or you took Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, maybe a Lamar Jackson. Otherwise, you're starting him. But if you did take one of those guys and you happen to take him, think of what you could trade him for, because a lot of your league mates don't have anything at quarterback right now. So really, that's what this sort of this that's what this has me thinking the most about as far as future application. I think very much to your point, it's hard to say. Okay, we're now going to get this right with rookie quarterbacks, and we, it could have easily been Bryce Young. Like it's a coin flip between these two guys as to which one was going to go off. So I think the big takeaway here is being more willing to draft two quarterbacks. And if you get this guy, if you get one of these guys wrong, you know, late in your draft is fine. You can also easily just drop them. But I want to be more willing to take swings later on some of these quarterbacks that might have some upside that we don't forecast.
0: I mean, they've been amazing, uh, the Texans offensively, pretty much all year long. Overall, this is a team very much in the playoff conversation in the AFC. I mean, Friedman. when we look at this, say, the trio of Stroud, Tank Dell, Nico Collins, uh, look, we went from, hey, man, this is a nice story, and maybe we can start these guys every once in a while to, uh, hey, look, now these guys need to be in your lineup every week. Next year when we're talking about drafting these guys, I mean, where are we looking at, say, for a Stroud or a, or a Tank Dell in terms of where we're drafting them?
3: Such a good question. I mean, I think Stroud is a minimum <laughs> of a like a QB6, like mid range QB1. Uh, maybe I'm sort of overselling it, but he's he has some running ability. And I assuming that Bobby Slowick stays as the offensive coordinator, he will have another year in that system. He could be better next year than he is this year, and Tank Dell. I mean, Marcus, your, your colleague, Greg Rosenthal over at NFL network has tweeted out the question of like, you know, what is the ceiling for tank Dell? And Ian and I have talked about this a couple of times. Like, is it Antonio Brown? Like, I know that that feels absolutely obscene to say at this point, but there are so few guys who are small and not elite athletes who can win on the outside. And Tankdale is one of those guys. He's not like getting all of his work in the slot. He's like moving across the formation. He's winning with nuance as a route runner, and he's winning with physicality, like as someone who can actually make contested catches. the The guy is, I would say, already one of the best wide receivers in the league, and he could still be getting better as he actually enters his second season. So. Like wide receiver one for Tank Dell, like not the wide receiver one, but like locked into the top 12. That feels fairly reasonable if he continues to do for the rest of the season what we've seen him do to this point. Because to this point, he really has been one of the best wide receivers in the league. He's been amazing, and to your point, if Bobby Slowick does
0: stay in Houston, and there will be a lot of people who come calling, if he stays with the Texans, I think there's going to be a lot of hype around this offense heading into 2024. Meanwhile, in Green Bay, Christian Watson was hot last year, and we sort of wondered what would happen with him this year. I mean, Ian, as you look at Christian Watson, was it that the ceiling was high with him, or is it that Aaron Rodgers kind of feng shuied the place to make it look a little bit bigger than it actually was? What's, what's going on with him?
1: It'd be a lot easier for me to just talk about the switch from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love if everyone was struggling in Green Bay, but it's actually been more so just a Christian Watson problem at this point. I mean, hey, the guy did suffer that hamstring injury at the end of August. He had another leg bruise, you know, in week seven. So sadly, story of his career at this point, we just haven't seen Christian Watson fully healthy for that many games. Now, as we saw on Thanksgiving, when things are right, they are right in a big way, Marcus. So not saying we won't get some booms, but if you just look at, you know, who is Jordan Love targeting and having the most success with in terms of the passer rating when going after these wide receivers, I mean, we're talking about Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks being well over 100, Romeo Dobbs being right there at 98. Christian Watson, all the way down there at 58, and that's even after, again, by far the best game of his season there against the Lions. So, it's one of these things where I think a large part has been looking at the contested catch success he had last season. reeled in nine of his 12 contested targets. This year, currently, guys, only at 5 of 16, was at 2 of 13 before last week. So, he's not been playing great, hasn't been 100% healthy, but also, maybe, just maybe, it is that added influx of competition, with Jaden Reed looking just as good him with the reality that last season when Romeo Dobbs was healthy Christian Watson never scored a touchdown or had over 50 receiving yards in any of those games so Dwayne you know hey we can go through all the guys I missed on next I'm only just saying this because we are talking about Christian Watson (laughs) I know someone that you were very high on I mean do you think we just again maybe took that small sample size and just kind of expanded it too much because hey hand up I missed out on someone like Jerry Judy we had Cam Akers a couple years ago is the lesson here Dwayne to look extra carefully at some of these big but small sample stretches and otherwise middling offenses.
2: I mean, typically a lot of this stuff settles out at 250 routes, so I don't want to get like overly concerned about it. But yeah, if I were to point to one thing, it would be that we didn't have a full season from Christian Watson. I think, you know, the contested catch thing is a really good find on your part because we know that's something that's not consistent. That is a high variance um, situation when you're dealing with contested catches. And overall, we just don't want wide receivers that see a lot of contested catches. Now, a lot of Watson's come because he's working further down the field. And the further you work down the field, the more likely you are to see a contested catch because the ball can be slightly off target. You're more likely to have two defenders on you with a safety and a wide and a cornerback. So you have to kind of take all those things into account. But I think the biggest thing I can look at is really just the sample size but I don't know how much I would change things. I think the biggest thing I would change is I just wouldn't have taken Christian Watson in so many drafts, you know? If I would have just like sprinkled in some different players from time to time in round four, uh, yeah, my bankroll for this year would feel a lot better about itself, and I would feel a lot of, a lot better about my bankroll. So when looking at Watson last year, a 2.26 yards per route run, 24% targets per route run, that's down to 1.45 yards per route run and 18% targets per route run. The other thing I could say is, I did underestimate Romeo Dobbs. He hasn't been great, but he's been good. And Jaden Reed's arrival, playing from the slot where you do get easier looks. And he's really been, to your point, the number one target for Jordan Love, who has also really struggled with accuracy woes. Now, he's gotten better over the last four to five games, but still sitting around a 60% on the season. And we have a balanced offense that doesn't want to truly turn things you know, up and just cut everyone loose, even though they have all these wide receivers. So I think just when you put all those factors together, It's what really brings Watson down, but he has to take accountability for a lot of this. He has not played very well. He's also not just dropped contested balls. He's dropped balls that really he should have caught. So some of this comes back to them. And again, drops are also high variance. They're usually not sticky. So I I don't know that there's a takeaway where I can point to something and say, man, I would never do this again. But I would say just probably try not to be as confident as I was in something that has such a small sample.
0: So Watson, maybe not living up to our expectations, but the spreading the wealth a little bit, too, in that Green Bay passing game. Meanwhile, in Tampa Bay, uh, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, Mike (laughs) Evans, on his way to another 1,000-yard season. And there are a lot of people out there, uh, pointing to myself, who didn't think it was going to happen this year, who thought maybe uh, Mike Evans was going to see his string of 1,000-yard seasons in with Baker Mayfield at quarterback. And uh, we have been very, very wrong. So, uh, Friedman, why did you let me? Why did you let me think this? Why did you make me fade Mike Evans? Because I have to, uh, I have to absolve myself of blame and pass it off to. So- I don't even know how it's your fault, but I just need to
3: absolve myself of blame. So why did this happen? <laughs> well, I, I will say it's not all my fault, uh, but I I wasn't as high. <laughs> I probably wasn't as high on Mike Evans as I I should have been. You know, it's it's funny that like it's really easy to get focused on um, on like the the predictive metrics, like more of like the analytical metrics of like, um, market share and like things like that. And like, they are important, but at a certain point, it's like, Hey, is this guy going to have over a thousand yards receiving or not? You know? And with Mike Evans, the answer every year has been yes. Like at a certain point, We need to acknowledge that he and not Chris Godwin is the better wide receiver in that offense. Like it feels like for years now, the drafting community has always been like very optimistic on Chris Godwin and thinking that he is going to overtake Mike Evans. And at one point, maybe like three years ago, Chris Evans was probably the better wide receiver in that offense, but like Mike Evans is the rock within that offense Everything is going to ultimately funnel in his direction. We know that he gets the end zone targets. Um, he's just somehow like magnetically a lock to get a thousand yards each year. And Baker Mayfield maybe isn't as bad of a quarterback as we anticipated he would be like he's not good I'll just say that but like he's league average and in this season league average is good enough to, to to make Baker Mayfield seem much much better than a lot of other quarterbacks in the league right now so did we miss with Mike Evans like yeah Um, I don't think it's a massive miss. I don't think it's a miss that makes you lose your league, but it is a miss that makes you miss out on the consistency and the value week to week. So then Dwayne, the question is, are we going to learn from our
0: mistakes or are we going to find reasons next year to sort of downgrade Mike Evans again?
2: Yeah, I think Friedman hit the nail on the head. At some point, you just have to look at their production in the past and look at their fantasy points. The number one thing to correlate to next year's fantasy points is last year's. So to his point, as much as we love target shares and we love all these other things, yardage and touchdowns, things that he's done consistently for his career have always been there. They're there again this year. And I will say this. We are quick as a community to want to move on to the newer, younger player. And we sometimes dismiss these guys too soon. And we've seen many wide receivers at the age of 30 still produce at a high level. They may not produce at their peak performance level of 28, 29 years old. But we have a lot of 30-plus-year-old wide receivers who've put up top 12 fantasy wide receiver finishes. And the other thing I'll say is I've done some research on this in the past. And there's also some other great people in our community, like Adam Harstead, that's done some some work in this in this area as well. And we don't always get this, you know, slowdown for wide receivers that gradually gets worse and worse until they're no good anymore. Typically, what happens is you kind of have some, you may have a few little up and down years, and then suddenly it's more like a light switch, not a dimmer. It's not like you just slowly dim down the lights, they just turn off. So until that happens. Maybe we just need to be a little bit more comfortable buying into some of these older wide receivers as long as they've continued to produce. No, I mean, the thing, the biggest surprise for me, Marcus, is who would have thought you lose Tom Brady, you get Baker Mayfield, and that's an upgrade for you. <laughs> I mean, it's a guy that's had target shares of 17%, 16%, and 19%. And this year with Baker, he's at 25% with a 2.44 yards per route run. Again, now we're back to the analytics, and they're actually even better. The analytics are better with Baker Mayfield. So I think the biggest thing is just not counting these guys out too soon. And to Freeman's really, really astute, very good point, not getting overly caught up in the analytics when you know you have a guy like Evans that's done it year in and year out. And this is a guy, you didn't even have to convince yourself that, oh, I got to take him in round three like I used to. No, you could have gotten him in round six, seven, or eight of your draft, depending on where (laughs) you were drafting. So when we get to a spot like that in the draft, you don't have to love the player. Man, you know how many times I took Jahan Dotson over Mike Evans way too many.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, shout out to some of the old guys. I use that in air quotes, old guys uh, at wide receiver this year, because uh, Keenan Allen, uh, Mike Evans, and even to a point, look, Adam Thielen all having years better than I think we anticipated uh, over the age of 30. So uh, life does not end as an NFL wide receiver. Once you hit 30 years old we going to talk some more wide receivers. Cooper Cup. what's going on with him? Uh, are there reasons to maybe be optimistic? That's coming up next. Time to dive into some individual situations. And, uh, of course, if you go over to FantasyLife.com, uh, you can see our best plays of the week. You can si- see some of Friedman's favorites. You can also dive into the utilization report. So, we're going to form all those like Voltron and try to figure out some things uh, across the league. First off, in Houston. And we talked about how much of a surprise, how much of a pleasant surprise the Texans' offense has been so far this season. One of the things that has caught our attention has been the backfield takeover of Devin Singletary. And uh, Friedman, last week Damian Pierce came back from an injury, and it's almost like he wasn't there. Uh, he was out snapped forty-seven to eleven. It was pretty much the Devin Singletary show in the backfield. So, does this
3: mean it's Jover for Damian Pierce? And do we all ride with Devin Singletary now? Yeah. I mean, the stats that you mentioned, there are pretty telling a 19% snap rate is what we saw last week for Damien Pierce. And it's hard to know if that's representative of what we're going to see moving forward, because he was returning from an ankle injury. He did enter the weekend questionable, but just five carries, just one target. That's pretty paltry usage. And if we look at what Singletary has done since week nine, and that was the first week that Pierce was out He absolutely has dominated the backfield, 81% snap rate, 75% rusher, 64% route rate. And with that usage, 377 yards, two touchdowns on 71 carries and 13 targets over four games. So he will be like a mid-range RB2 if that type of utilization sticks. And based on what we've seen out of him compared to Damian Pierce this year, he definitely looks like the better runner. And this is an offense that we just talked about. We want exposure to all of the players in the system as a home favorite going against the Broncos this week, Broncos number one in most fantasy points allowed to running backs. This is a smash spot for Singletary if he actually continues to get the usage. And that's, that's the question. That is the question, Ian, does he continue to get this usage? What do you think?
1: So I think the overall snap rate last week was a little bit of a fugazi because as much as we did see, you know, yeah, only five rush attempts for Damian Pierce, Singletary only got six. I mean, this was one of the most pass-first strategies we've really seen this football season. One of the many great tools in, you know, our utilization kind of just report hub that Dwayne, you know, has thankfully you know just manufactured for everyone out there free by the way pretty cool if you look at it, though guys 15% plus you know drop back rate over expectation last week that comes just a week after I mean they were at plus 4% but before that it was minus 4% because they were playing a Bengals defense that has been horrible against the run the week before that they were plus 8% against the Buccaneers defense that's good against the run coming out of their buy they were minus 12% against the Panthers defense that was terrible against the run so I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers and plus minds this around, but the long story short of this is that Bobby Slowick has continuously showed he is willing not to just run the Texans offense, but to run the Texans offense based on what the defense he's facing is weakest at who do we have up next it's the Denver Broncos who haven't been able to slow down an opposing rushing attack all season long so at the end of the day I'm starting Singletary regardless so Friedman and I do have the same answer because guess what even if we only get 12 to 15 touches instead of the 25 that are maybe on the table if the snap rate sticks he should be able to make the most of them in this glorious matchup so I'll be very interested you know Dwayne and I on the Fantasy Life podcast every single Sunday night breaking down everything we saw and I know seeing whether or not this True workhorse will persist is going to be one of the top questions out there. So start them this week, but no, you know, in the words of the late great uh, Dennis Green, not quite crowning uh, Singletary's butt just yet.
0: <laughs> wow, uh, having your offense go at the weakness of the opposing defense—novel concept. <laughs> yeah, that Bobby Sloak he might be onto something here. I'll tell you what. Uh, no, but but in all seriousness, the Texans continue to look good offensively. Uh, interested to see what happens in this game against Denver. In Los Angeles, uh, Cooper Cup, look, he's been a star pretty much since he stepped on the field with the Rams, a guy that people spent a high draft pick on in fantasy this year. And it hasn't turned out the way we anticipated. Some of it has been injuries. Although, the last few weeks, Dwayne, uh, Cup's been back on the field and still the production has not been there. What exactly is going
2: on with Cooper Cup and the Rams' passing game right now? It's complicated. (laughs) <laughs> there's a lot going on here <laughs> marcus we've had one and a half games without matthew stafford um over the last several games so we got knocked out in week eight against the cowboys then in week nine he missed that game we had the brett rippin experience it's rippin guys you guys know who his uncle is right the former uh washington quarterback that won a super bowl over the bills back when the nfc went i think four and oh four years in a row over the uh bills in the super bowl am so, sorry bills fans i know you've yeah i'm sorry yeah the (laughs) nfc east yeah over the afc east bills uh yeah it was the it was well it was the giants then the commanders and then it was the cowboys twice so anyway back to the lecture at hand which is cooper cup and the other problem is he's been hurt like so the last two games you know he's been dealing with an ankle injury he only played 24 percent of the routes if we go back to week 11 then last week we saw him immediately come out after his first catch get his ankle retaped, and he just wasn't that effective so I do think that Cooper Cup is still a really good player, Marcus. If we go back and look at the games before he really fell off, even though his fantasy points fell off a little bit before this, the target shares were still there. 23%, 30%, 24%. Now he's having to share more because Huka Nakua is also a target earner. So that's a new issue for uh, Cooper Cup, but I still think he's a really good player. We've just had Matthew Stafford hurt and we've had Cooper Cup himself dealing with injuries now. The challenge is over the next two games, you've got to deal with the Browns and you've got to deal with the Ravens, two of the best pass defenses in the league. So even if Cooper Cup's feeling better and Matthew Stafford's feeling like his old self and ready to try to throw another four touchdown passes like he did last week, it's going to be really hard to accomplish against those two defenses. Now we have Miles Garrett is questionable. Um, He did not practice today. So if the Browns are without him, that obviously would impact their defense. He is the best player on their team. So that could that could be kind of good for Cup, but I think you're going to have to wait another couple weeks before we can think about putting him back in the wide receiver one ranks. I've got him as a mid-range to low-end wide receiver two this weekend. I, Ian, when
0: you look at this offense, do we worry about the reemergence, reappearance of Kyron Williams? Do you think that changes anything with how Sean McVay runs this offense?
1: We saw that, you know, come to fruition last week. I mean, yeah, that's the limited version of Kyron Williams, I guess, going for 200 total yards and 38 <laughs> PPR points. Good to know uh, Good to know there. But I think, uh, you know, we have seen Stafford come back now, and it's a small sample, but over these past two games, his average target depth is really low, much closer to that six yards mark as opposed to before the injury when he was pushing, you know, eight, nine yards average target depth, you know, week in and week out. So, hey, when your best wide receiver in Cooper Cup is banged up, and even Puka Nakua, someone that we do see on and on off the injury report maybe it does make more sense to have this more conservative game plan hell we have Tyler Higby going out here and scoring two touchdowns for crying out loud so honestly I just think Cooper Cup's really hurt I mean Dwayne said it like he caught that first ball and just immediately had to retake the ankle and they explained on the broadcast that Cooper Cup believes this is only a pain tolerance issue and because he doesn't think he can make the injury worse he wants to still go out there and give it his all that's great really tough dude, just like all these football players. But sadly, we don't get extra points in fantasy land for, you know, encouraging toughness out there. And I'm with Dwayne. I do think we have to bump him down into that low M wide receiver two category, but can't stress enough just how much injuries and just weird game scripts have had to go with this. I mean, almost reminds me of the Tony Pollard conversations we were having a couple of weeks ago, not so much with the injuries, but more so just like, man, we're going back a month and a half at this point. It's just tough to find the last regular healthy game that any of these Rams players have been with. So to Dwayne's point, if we do see no Miles Garrett and no Denzel Ward again, I don't think this week's matchup is all that bad. But if we had 100% Cooper Cup out there, we wouldn't even be talking about the matchup. So here, here's just hoping that Cup can get back to being healthy because, man, when he's right, no one's slowing him down.
0: And the thing about it in the end is if you've got him in fantasy, you're not really sitting him because uh, look, there's always the possibility that he has one of those Cooper Cup-like games. And if you leave him sitting on a bench – You're going to be kicking yourself probably all throughout the offseason. So uh, hopefully he gets right and uh, looks looks like the guy that we drafted back at the end of the summer. A few names to get through sort of rapid fire to get your takes on them. Uh, Freeman, let's start with Bijan Robinson because uh, the numbers were great. The production was great, but you still had Tyler Algier, Cordero Patterson hanging around there. So uh, is this going to be enough to
3: make Arthur Smith finally come around to our point of view, or is this just is what it is? It's Arthur Smith's world and we're just living in it and uh, he will do whatever he wants to do and trying to figure out what he's going to do is almost fruitless, but Bijan Robinson. Awesome player being used in a, a three down capacity when he's on the field, not that he's on the field, you know, every down, but he's got the skill set to produce as a receiver and a runner as we've recently seen. So yeah, I mean, obviously if you have him, you're starting him, he has top six upside in any given week. He has, you know, low end RB two downside because he's an Arthur Smith's offense and he's got two other running backs. They're stealing half of the carries. All right. So uh, B. John Robinson sort of trapped in a
0: he's trapped in a glass case of emotion, I guess. But uh, hopefully he can find ways to produce uh, the way he has the last couple of weeks. Uh, Dwayne Rashad White, not the picture of efficiency that you
2: would want, but he's, I guess, James
0: Harden. He's a volume shooter. And that seems to be what's working out for him right now.
2: Yeah, 19.3 fantasy points over his last four outings. And his role is as great as ever, averaging 70% snap share and 68% route participation since week nine. And oh yeah, he gets the rushing attempts too, 70% in that category as well. So Ian always talks about volume is king and that's what we're seeing right now with Rashad White. So despite the fact that he has struggled from an efficiency standpoint, only 3.6 yards per attempt, that's one of the worst marks in the league for guys with at least 60 carries, But he's got a juicy matchup this weekend against the Panthers. They're five and a half point. They're five and a half point favorites. And so we could see a little bit more running from the Buccaneers. And the nice thing with white is if you ever get into a situation where suddenly the other team surprises the Bucks and they are in a, a trailing script, he is good as a receiver out of the backfield. He's not one of these 20% target share guys, but he's that 13, 14% range. So that keeps him in the RB one conversation. Of course, we've got multiple teams on by this week, Marcus. So that also helps, but I've got him as my running back 10 on the week and a top, a top 15 flex play.
0: Uh, he has also been picking up targets, too, the back half of the season, which has certainly helped his outlook altogether uh, in that Bucks offense. Uh, Ian, Juwan Johnson, uh, a guy that I liked, is kind of a sleeper tight end. It didn't happen early in the year because Taysom Hill was doing Taysom Hill things. But the Saints are one more injury to a pass catcher away from pulling people out of the stands okay. like it's the Price is Right. So it feels like for Juwan Johnson, it's sort of uh, this seems like the week for
1: him to actually do some big things. Side note, guys, I've been grinding a ton of prices right in Family Feud recently. Shout out YouTube TV, <laughs> just always on at midnight. But anyway, yeah, Juwan Johnson, guys, coming off a season-high 85% route rate because, hey, as much as Taysom Hill is still going to continue to do Taysom Hill things, and seriously, guys, legit top six option at the position this week because of all these injuries going on in New Orleans. Michael Thomas on IR, Rashid Shahida reportedly not dealing with anything too serious. That said, he is expected to not be available this week. And even Chris Olave, good to see him get in a limited practice on Wednesday. That does put him on potential track to clear the protocol, but man, this is a dude that already has two diagnosed concussions to his name since 2020. It would make sense if the Saints and most other teams, to be fair, usually do this, give him that first week off. So if we're missing each of those top three wide receivers, I think it would make sense to take Jawan Johnson, Uh, Marcus, someone that you mentioned being high on in the preseason, likely because of the kind of receiving prowess he's already showed throughout his career. I don't think it was a coincidence we saw Johnson play a season-high 28 snaps in the slot last week after a lot of those injuries happened because, hey, as much as I still might have Lynn Bowden, you know, hanging out on the occasional dynasty bench or two guys, <laughs> come on. A.T. Perry, Keith Kirkwood, Jawan Johnson is unironically the best wide receiver in New Orleans right now. He just happens to have a tight end positional designation next to him. So you're playing Taysom Hill ahead of Jawan Johnson, but honestly, as rare as it is to see in the NFL, wouldn't it be surprised if the Saints turned in not one, but two top 12 fantasy players at the position
0: this week would not be surprising at all if we can just get Derek Carr over his red zone bugaboos uh, this offense might be even a little bit more productive uh, than it has been so far speaking of productive offenses the spotlight game of the week's going to be in Philadelphia the San Francisco 49ers head to take on the Eagles in a rematch of last year's NFC championship game and our own Matthew Berry and wide receiver one Showtime Golden Tate stop by to talk about it
4: uh, thanks, Marcus. All right, Golden. One of the best games of the year, at least what we expected to be, a rematch of the NFC Championship game. San Francisco travels to Philadelphia here. And this one's kind of interesting. The 49ers opened as three-point favorites on the road at the 10-1 and Eagles. This is literally the first time that a team that is 10-1 is a home underdog since the NFL merger. So here's my question. Nick Ciarani says, yeah, he seems going to use his motivation. How much does that really work, Golden? The the bulletin board material that the they claim motivates a team.
5: You know, I, I'm a strong believer. You get late in the season, and you you know you're have one loss. You need something. You know, you already think you're a really good team, but now you need someone to doubt you. You know, in in a way, it's kind of like it's like you know Michael Jordan. Like when you look at him wrong, he just takes offense to it, and that's what they need to do right here. Like it is wild to me that. They're playing in Philadelphia, one of the toughest environments to play in, and they are uh, not favored at home with the best record in the NFL. It was just mind-blowing to me. I said it earlier, Vegas must know something that we don't know. Um, but listen, this is more than bulletin board material for just uh, the Philadelphia Eagles inside the locker room. This whole entire town has taken offense to this. And when the 49ers come to town... The 49ers better pack their lunches and their dinners because they're going to be trying to get reservations in Philadelphia and they're going to be like, no, go away. The entire night they're going to get prank call probably from Philadelphia uh, fans and it, it's it's just a whole city thing that's going to take offense to it. Like, you know, Philly is one of the tough, toughest and most annoying places to play because it's it's it feels like it's more than football. It's like they're going to war between these two teams. So I'm excited to watch this matchup from at home. And I am still just mind blown of, you know, Philadelphia Eagles being home underdogs.
4: Yeah, it's going to be a great game. There's no question about that. Uh, I, I personally, I think the Niners are the better team. I mean, if I was laying the line, I'd make them the favorite too. I think most people outside of Philadelphia think they're the better team. And so, uh, you know, the, the line is always about what they're trying to get the public, uh, the public to bet on as well fantasy wise here's what's great even though it's two great defenses and two great teams in terms of the decision-making process there is none that's what's great there's no question marks here on the philadelphia side you're starting jalen hurts you're starting aj brown you're starting Devonte smith you're starting uh Devon uh deandre swift and that's it there's no there's no gray area here Every team, both teams have superstars and then guys you're never starting. So on the Eagles, it's those four guys. I don't care about the matchup. They're too good. You're starting Hertz, Brown, Swift, and uh, Devontae Smith. On the Niners' side of the ball, it's the same thing. You're starting Brock Purdy, who's been a top 10 fantasy quarterback this year. You're starting McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle should have a great game against an Eagles defense that always struggles against tight ends. And everyone else on the Niners, you're ignoring. So it doesn't sort of matter for our purposes. Oh, is this a bad matchup? What should I do here? Because they're too good. You're starting everyone involved in this game, Golden. So that's my that's my take from a fantasy perspective. I have one question for you. Um, you know, a lot of people are wondering, seeing this game as, you know, uh, you know, the end of a long stretch of just a brutal stretch of games for the Philadelphia Eagles, right? They, they, they played the Cowboys, they played the Bills, they played the, the Chiefs, right? And so this is the fourth game in this awful stretch uh, for the 49ers. And both teams, both teams have Super Bowl aspirations in the real NFL. On this show, of course, we only care about the fantasy playoffs, our Super Bowl, weeks 15 through 17 in most leagues. My question to you is, because it will be the end of week 13 when the Eagles get through this brutal stretch, how will that affect the Eagles having gone through this stretch late in the season? Should we as fantasy managers be, current, be concerned about weeks 15 through 17, specifically on the Eagles side of the ball, given the stretch that they've just gone through? You know,
5: I I don't believe fantasy owners have anything to worry about. Um, kind of to your point of, like, one, you're starting everyone this this game coming up. In addition to that, you got six teams on buys. You don't really have the luxury of picking and choosing anyway. Um, not that you choose on the, the opposite side anyway. But uh, as far as the fantasy uh, playoff implication, I, I don't think there's anything to worry about. I think, if anything, the, the low gets lighter for Philadelphia Eagles and, You know, guys are more likely to have some boom type of days, which is when you want them to happen anyway. Um, You know, through the stretch, Eagles have the number one seed as it stands right now. Um, I predicted during the stretch they would go somewhere around four and one, uh, maybe three and two, which still lets them hold on to the number one seed. But it kind of comes down to like. uh it really depends on like how they do the, these next two games on how far in advance they are uh, because if these playoff games don't really matter, what do you expect? So that's kind of my only worry, but overall guys are going to play hard. And it's just a matter of fact, if they're going to be in the game for the entire game.
4: Yeah. And you know what fantasy wise is as brutal as this stretch has been for uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, If you get through the stretch and you're in the fantasy playoffs, you're going to be really excited to have a Philadelphia Eagle and honestly even a San Francisco 49er on your team for the fantasy playoffs. Look at the schedule, Golden. The Philadelphia Eagles in weeks 15 through 17, the fantasy playoffs in most leagues, play the Seahawks, the Giants, and the Cardinals in championship week. Just an unbelievably great stretch of easy matchups. None of those defenses scare you. Seattle's been okay, but like seriously, you feel really good uh, if you have one of the big Eagle stars on your team. San Francisco, two of their three games are really easy. So they're at Arizona at the start of the fantasy playoffs home to Baltimore, and then they're at my brutal Washington Commanders in championship week. You don't love facing the Ravens, but at least that game is in San Francisco. The Ravens will have to travel cross-country, and the Niners are good enough. I can't imagine ever benching Christian McCaffrey or Debo Samuel, one of those guys, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, uh, in a championship game, even if they are facing the Ravens. So uh, while it's been a tough stretch, the fact of the matter is, if you have a 49er, if you have an Eagle – The fantasy playoffs should be fantasy goodness for you. Golden, my friend, we'll see you next week. And in the meantime, we'll send it back to Marcus Grant.
0: Time to get into some predictions and some bets. This is where Matthew Friedman steps to the plate. Of course, you can check out a lot of his work with the Fantasy Life Betting Life newsletter Uh, It's actually the Betting Life newsletter. Don't forget all those, you know, you forget all those extra words I just threw in there. But it comes to your inbox three times a week. Also, uh, go check out the Bet Tracker over at FantasyLife.com, which gets you uh, informed about everything that Friedman and company are putting together. But, uh, Matt, let's dive into some of your best bets for the week, starting With the Jets and Falcons, and God bless you for uh, subjecting yourself to actually watching this game on purpose. But uh, what are you looking
3: at with the Jets and the Falcons this week? Oh, my friend, I will not be watching this game. Because uh, I, <laughs> I expect there to be very few points, and that is what I'm looking at. Under 34 is what I am betting. The Jets are a dead under-team emphasis on the word dead. Their defense is, is good. We all know this, number four in success rate. But they have actually downgraded the quarterback position by moving from Zach Wilson to Tim Boyle, who has a career mark of 2.3 adjusted yards per attempt. That is unconscionably terrible. And the Falcons, good-ish on defense, number eight in success rate, sluggish best on offense. They rank number 31 in early down pass frequency. Like This is a low total, but there's a chance that neither of these teams has the motivation or the ability to put up points in this game. The Jets are seven and four to the under this year. Same with the Falcons. This feels like whoever gets to 17 probably wins this game. I have this projected at 32.8. I mean, the lowest projection I've had this year, I absolutely love under 34 points in Falcons Jets. I think that both these teams are motivated to score a lot of points, but I think your point
0: about the ability to score a lot of points uh, is probably more spot on with the uh, the Jets and the Falcons. So uh, from a game that few people are talking about to a game that everybody is talking about, the 49ers and the Eagles rematch at the NFC Championship game. Uh, Eagles, surprisingly a home underdog, despite the fact that they have the best record in the NFL. Uh, how do you see this one shaking out?
3: Yeah, I like Eagles plus three, it's plus two and a half at some books. And that's fine. If it's plus two and a half, just tease it up to plus eight and a half. So either way, I do like this bet here for the Eagles, you know, with their plus 64 point differential, the Eagles should have more of like a seven and four record instead of the 10 and one mark. But there's something to be said for a team that can maximally translate points into wins. And, you know, they've got that cheat code with Jalen hurts being able to convert every third and fourth down that's short into a first down still the 49ers. I have not power rated ahead of the eagles they should be favored brock purdy's looking like a, a near mvp candidate with the efficiency that he has and kyle shanahan historically has traveled well with his team uh but this is a situation where they are traveling across three time zones. This is their third away game in four weeks for the 49ers. And then Jalen Hurts at home has been lights out 17, six and one against the spread at home for his career and at home against non divisional opponents home field advantages greater when you're playing outside of division, he's 12 and three against the spread. And you know, the Eagles, they have a lot of players who are injured on defense And a number of those guys could come back this week. So I think there's some hidden upside in the market with the Eagles at plus three.
0: Uh, Not to mention that Jalen Hurts, uh, 14 straight wins against teams with winning records. So no matter what metrics you put out there, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles having a lot of success over the last couple of years. One last one. It is uh, one of the primetime games this weekend, the Sunday night contest between the Packers and the Chiefs and you like this one to go under? Is that what you're saying? Is that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. The Chiefs are involved, and we're talking about an under.
3: Well, I mean, Marcus, it's, you know, it's the year for unders in general, unders 106, (laughs) 73 and one. I mean, an absolutely incredible number that no one wants to see, especially in primetime unders are 29 and nine. Uh, And then for Sunday night football, unders are 10 and two. It's just, it's absolutely terrifying. And then of course we have the chiefs who are eight and three to the under this year. And that's, you know, primarily because of their defense, which has been great, but their offense hasn't been nearly as good as we would have wanted. And the defense for the Chiefs, it is vulnerable in the running game, but the Packers without number one running back Aaron Jones, I don't think they're going to be able to exploit that weakness the way that we would want. And then the Packers defense, they could have a number of guys coming back. Linebacker Devondre Campbell, cornerback Jair Alexander, free safety Rudy Ford, all of those guys could return in this game. So with a retooled secondary and back seven, the Packers defense could present a little more of a challenge than we would want to the Chiefs offense. And I think that in turn could turn this into a low scoring. I don't want to say snore fest, but a low scoring game that doesn't live up to the expectation. So under 42 and a half, I think has value. I have this projected at 41 and a half be willing to bet it to 42 uh
0: fun fact that for the first time in the patrick mahomes era the chiefs scoring defense and total defense uh outrank the chiefs scoring offense and total offense so a little bit of the upside down when you talk about the kansas city offense and defense so far this season uh now is the part of the show where ian and friedman get to wrestle over a dvd it's just teasing
1: Thanks, Marcus, and you guys unfortunately don't get to see the rest of that video when I ripped that DVD out of Friedman's hands because sadly it was his fault that we lost last week on our Thanksgiving Day session. So pretty sure he still hit more than me this year, but we're not going to worry about those because Week 13 is all that matters anyway, guys. What do we still worry about week 12 for in the first place? Freeman and I back with another teaser for all you guys. Just two teams. For those unaware teasers, as always, we're taking six points off the main line, combining two of them, and then usually getting somewhere around, you know, minus 125 to minus 150 odds for our trouble. So, Freeman, kicking things off here with a Monday night battle. Talk to me about the Cincinnati Bengals traveling down to Jacksonville to take on the Jaguars.
3: Yeah. I mean, the Bengals are terrible. One of the worst teams in the league without, uh, without Joe Burrow and the Jags are surging. I mean, they, I think, continue to out, uh, outperform expectations. And, you know, part of the logic of teasers is that you are, of course, as you said, getting the extra six points and in doing that, uh, and then combining it with the other leg in the teaser, you're, gaining like one to three percentage points relative to the current, the current number in the market. And so, you know, at eight and a half as the current spread with the Jags, we're getting through the key number of seven, getting through the key number of three Uh, you know, those are important numbers that we can get through there. And 38 is the total in this game. And there's more value in teasing on lower total games because points are just worth more in a, a game where not as many points are scored. So this is kind of the ideal teaser spot, low total game going through two key numbers. Absolutely love this spot. And all I need is the Jags to win by a field goal. I, I mean, man, they should easily be able to beat the Bengals at home by a field goal. So Monday night football, give me the Jags tease down from eight and a half to two and a half.
1: Shout out to Trevor Lawrence. Playing the best football of the season, if not even his career, over these past two games got me wondering because of how well T-Law has been playing since that terrible 49ers game and then how well Dak Prescott has been playing since his terrible performance against the 49ers. Is this some sort of just phenomenon where quarterbacks get better after playing San Fran and losing to them? No. The other guy was Baker Mayfield. So another day, but you know, that's why we checked those numbers. Anyway, back to the topic on hand, everybody. I'm going with the Kansas City Mahomes over the Green Bay Pass. Yes, I know it's in Lambeau. It's Patrick Mahomes against Jordan Love. Do we really need to dive into this? So the one factor that could go into, you know, Green Bay's favor is we got a little bit of a revenge game here, guys, lest we forget first ever start that Jordan Love made. The Chiefs had the audacity to put his parent and girlfriend up in the very last row at Arrowhead. So I'm not sure what the Packers have planned. Maybe it's Jackson Mahomes. Maybe it's Taylor freaking Swift herself that they forced to go sit up there and watch. But either way, I think at the end of the day, the Chiefs eat the W and at minus six, we can get that teaser all the way down to a pick em. So hey, if it's a tie, I'm screwed. But Mahomes versus Jordan Love. I don't think we are getting a tie there. So you guys heard it. Freeman's taking the Jags. I'm taking the Chiefs with the six points tease. That's going to be Jacksonville minus two and a half. And again, the Chiefs out of them So another edition of Just Teasing, back to you, Marcus. All right, let's turn our attention to some
0: underdog pick we got three of them up on tap. And, uh, Dwayne, let's start with DeAndre Swift, who sometimes it feels like the Eagles forget that he's there, but then when they give him the ball, he does big things. So let's put it at 50 and a half yards for DeAndre Swift.
2: Are you going to go higher or lower than that? Yeah, I'm going to go higher. The Eagles do forget about DeAndre Swift when they get inside the 5-yard line because they've got the tush-push. Um, the brotherly shove, whichever you want to call it. So, the touchdowns can be a challenge for Swift. However, he does get enough work on the ground on an offense that's got a good offensive line. They tend to have a good time of possession. Now, they are playing the 49ers, who are a decent, decent uh, defense against the run, but not an elite defense against the run. And so, he's averaging 70 yards per game right now. And in 72% of his contests, he's gone higher. Than this number, and that includes week one when he was a backup to Kenneth Gainwell. So the number's actually higher than that. So I really do like the higher than 50.5 for DeAndre Swift. So we're
0: going higher on Swift. Meanwhile, Derek Henry, Friedman, it's sort of been an underwhelming year for El Tractor Cito so far. But uh, you, the number 60 and a half yards
3: for the King, you go higher or lower than that? Oh, I'm going higher. This just feels way too low. The Titans are live to win this game as short home underdogs. And even though Derek Henry, as you mentioned, has had a really subpar season, 82.4 scrimmage yards per game, he is still absolutely balled out this year in five home games and in four victories, 539 yards from scrimmage, 426 yards from scrimmage and four victories. And if the Titans win at home, Henry has a very good shot to go off and he's no longer the player he once was obviously, but he has 12 plus opportunities in Every game this year, uh, except for one. And I think you get close to 20 carries in this spot at home. And the Colts are number 30 in defensive rush success rate. And of course, they cut uh three time all pro linebacker, Shaquille Leonard, uh, cut him basically just as a salary dump. Uh, and so given that he's going against the Colts in this spot, really like Derrick Henry. I have this projected at 72.8, so I am very much higher than 60 and a half.
0: All right, so the tractor Cito, uh getting ready to roll this weekend for the Tennessee Titans. One last one, Mike Evans, 64 and a half yards. Dwayne, we, we started the show talking about, you know, why was it that we faded Mike Evans? And are we going to learn from our mistakes? So it feels like you, you kind of have to go higher. Otherwise, that would be incredibly hypocritical of us.
2: Yeah, we've got to go higher because we didn't do right by Mike Evans or fantasy drafts. So we've got to make up for it somewhere, but actually this is just a really good play because he's averaging 77 yards per game. We've got a up against the Panthers. Now on paper, it looks like this is a situation where the Bucs should run the ball. They're a three percent deep uh, drop back over expectation team, so they throw the ball a little bit more than what teams typically do, and they're not good running the ball. We talked about Rashad White. The volume is definitely is definitely there, but he's a 3.6 yards per carry player. So I don't know that they can get hyper carried away and give. 30 attempts to the run game, which means they're still going to need to throw the ball. And while Carolina has been good against the pass, it's really been more due to teams being able to run against them and being up on them by so many points in the fourth quarter. And so I think this is a game that could be a little bit more competitive. I think that the Bucs are still going to win the game, but I know that Mike Evans can also come, he can come through either on a big play or he can come through on a lot of targets. He's done both all season. So I really like the higher than for Mike Evans this weekend.
0: All right. So we are higher on Mike Evans. I know Friedman, you and Dwayne were talking before the show. This, this feels like a, a standing thing for you guys at this point, right?
3: Yeah, a- absolutely. I think Mike Evans, just lock it in. We will be taking the higher on anything that they put out there until this number gets into the seventies or something like that. It's just It's Mike <laughs> Evans, absolutely dominating 9.3 yards per target this year. He is still just as explosive as ever
0: course you can go over to fantasylife.com check out the bet tracker to see everything that we've got cooking and if you want to get involved uh, of course you can go over to underdog uh, and they will give you up to a hundred dollars toward your first deposit just use the promo code life and you too can sweat out some of your football viewing this weekend speaking of sweating some things out we got the three games in prime time on thursday night football it is the seahawks and the cowboys sunday night football the chiefs and the packers and on Monday night, the Bengals and the Jaguars, the game that admittedly looked a whole lot better before Joe Burrow went down for the season. That doesn't mean we're not going to pick it, though. Time for our primetime staff picks. Dwayne, what do you like in the primetime games this weekend?
2: I'm going to stay pretty chalky this week. I've got to make up some ground at some point on you, Marcus. I don't know that this is the week to do it. And I've kind of got a little behind-the-scenes look at what Ian's trying to do. So I think after this week, he's going to be completely <laughs> out of it. So I'm going to stay chalk. This week, I'm going with the Cowboys versus the Seahawks, not just because it's chalky. Look, this is not the same Seahawks team we saw last year. Really, it looks like the Geno Smith we saw down the stretch run last season, and that's just really been a hangover into the early part of this year. So starting to wonder if Geno's really the answer there. Um, even though they've got the weapons. So go with this Cowboys defense, and Dak is just absolutely balling right now. Then you've got the Chiefs playing against the Packers. While the Packers have been playing better, and Jordan Love has has improved his completion rate, they've been making some bigger plays down the field over the last few games. Still going to go with Patrick Mahomes over Jordan Love. And then the Bengals without Joe Burrow, they're just not the Bengals, Marcus. So give me the Jaguars. Trevor Trevor Lawrence playing his two best games over the last two weeks. After I completely thrashed him, which I guess that just motivated him. So sorry, Trevor Lawrence, you were, you're good. And I was wrong. Trevor Lawrence was reading all of our tweets and decided that he had (laughs) had enough of all
0: that.
1: Uh, what do you like this weekend? Wayne doesn't seem to understand the strategy of first or last. So yeah, I could be in last or I get all three of these right. And we're looking at a new number one, everybody. So yeah, let's get a little bit different here. Give me the Seahawks over the Cowboys. We've seen Dak do this year after year. Looks like an MVP candidate for five or six weeks. And then inexplicably turns back into a pumpkin when we just finally start trusting them. So am I just saying that so I can pick the Seahawks? Of course, guys. But in reality, still haven't seen the Cowboys get a W over a team that currently has a winning record this season. So give me the Seahawks on Thursday. Give me the Packers on Sunday night, because I just got done just teasing, talking about the chiefs. And just like Mac from always sunny, I am playing both sides of this. So I always come out on top, no matter what. So taking the Packers (laughs) there. And then on Monday night, give me the Bengals over the Jaguars. Jake Browning is three years older than Trevor Lawrence guys. So he's going to use that experience and 44 fewer career professional starts to lead the Bengals to a shocking upset victory over a still mid Jaguars team that just happened to get two wins. So Hey, you all can pick the chalk i'll pick the actual winners
0: uh i love that ian is using the brandon whedon theory of quarterbacking to uh take (laughs) the Bengals uh over the jaguars in this one uh i am going to be super crayola chalky in this one Uh, i'm taking the cowboys because they are red hot right now uh and the seahawks scuffling a little bit Uh, look Geno smith i thought He was going to be a bridge quarterback, and then last year he exceeded expectations. Now he looks sort of like a bridge quarterback again. Uh, Kansas City, offensively, they are just fine, but defense has been carrying the day for them, and I think that's going to be enough to get them past this Packer offense. And taking the Jaguars uh, very much in the thick of things, uh, trying to lock up the division in the AFC South while the Bengals just kind of treading water without Joe Burrow there. Uh, I don't think Jake Browning is going to be enough, so give me the Jaguars in this one. Uh, Friedman, would you like to kind of go off
3: menu or or where are you looking for this week? Well, Marcus, you are in the lead, uh, in this little competition. And so I'm just going to copy your homework and I'm going to do exactly what you're doing. But I mean, it's a game Uh, where none of these spreads are tight. Uh, and so I'm just kind of looking at the board and looking at my projections and yeah, I mean, on Thursday night football got to go with the Cowboys. Uh, I think they win this one in a blowout. Uh, it's just kind of what they've been doing recently. Uh, just putting the hurting on some pretty bad teams. I don't think that the Seahawks are a totally bad team, but they're not a good team. The Cowboys are really punishing teams that are at least a tier below them. So going with the Cowboys here uh, with Sunday night football, it's going to be absolutely tilting for Ian when this game ends in a tie and he doesn't win on the teaser and doesn't win (laughs) with with the Packers here in this little contest but uh, I'm going with the Chiefs here but I think it will be closer than what we see with the spread here I I think the Chiefs win but close and then Jags I talked about them and just teasing I like them to win here not sure if it's you know by three or by ten but you know Jags in this spot they're outperforming expectations this season I think that continues on Monday night football
0: Well, I look forward to coming back here next week and we're all praising Ian for being outside the box and looking like a hero uh, when everything else blows up in our faces over the rest of the weekend. So uh, looking forward to that, looking forward to what should be a very interesting week 13 across the NFL. Hopefully you are looking forward to it as well. In the meantime, we appreciate you hanging out with us here on the fantasy live show for Matthew Berry and Golden Tate for Ian Harditz, Dwayne McFarlane and Matthew Friedman. My name is Marcus Grant. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. And we will talk to you again here real soon.